Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We'll be uh, removing it to sweet. Um, just a reminder for tonight um, that the Secret Trial 5, uh, one of the documentaries that Sophie has um, uh, been involved with, will be uh, screened tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, thanks to the Lethbridge International Film Festival. It will be at the Theatre Gallery at the Lethbridge Public Library, and it is free. Um, both the pa- both the movie screening and the panel discussion afterwards. Sophie will be part of that panel discussion, as will Dr. Maureen Duffy, a law professor from the University of Calgary who has special interest in security certificates and human rights. So it sounds like it'll be a fantastic night tonight. That's 7 tonight, Lethbridge Public Library downtown. And I want to invite all of you to come back next week again uh, when we'll be discussing Should Canada Restore Diplomatic Relations with the Islamic Republic of Iran? Uh, We'll be hosting uh, University University of Lethbridge Professor of Visualization Studies, Dr. Anthony Paul, who uh, was recently invited to attend as a delegate to an international conference of independent thinkers and filmmakers in Tehran. For several days, the conference was a main focus of national news in the host country, even as it was the subject of a rather vicious smear campaign mounted by the Anti-Defamation League in the United States and throughout an echo chamber of U.S. news agencies, including the Washington Post. Further information about that session, uh, which is our regular session next week, March 26th, is available on your table, so I hope to see you then. Um, I would like to ask Sophie to uh, come up and... uh, anyone who would like to ask her questions to come. Uh, she has told me that she can be very open, so uh, we can ask her anything. Um, and I'll be moderating that. Please, just as a reminder, introduce yourselves uh, when you ask your question. Keep your questions short and brief, or I'll be forced to cut you off. Oh, I would do it, Frank. I would. I'd like to ask my table to watch my moose because I'm not finished my my dessert. <laughs> I'd like to say it was really lovely to be here today. And um, Mo uh, would uh, love to meet uh, new people, but uh, there are still conditions in place that um, are very difficult for him. For example, when we leave Ottawa, he has to give five days' notice to the CBSA, uh, and they know exactly where we are and where, where we are, and he has to report daily. Um, <clears throat> As you can see, I'm I'm uh, I'm the kind of person that that does public events quite easily, but I don't like for CBSA to know where I am at all times. So that's one reason why I don't drag him along. It's better for me to do my own thing and uh, speak about the injustice without having CBSA in the same room watching me and and report everything. I'll just give you a quick anecdote. A couple of years ago, Mo actually agreed to do his first talk at the University of Ottawa in the criminology department, a class of 300 students. And CBSA agreed uh, to approve the outing. They sent four officers that day. And when they came in the room, they noticed that there was a computer like there is in every university class where you can put a UBS key and everything and uh, show my, uh, my presentation and everything. And they noticed that every student had a laptop and a cell phone. And there was way too much communications around Mo. So they decided to stay and listen to the talk. 
The understanding was that they would check out the room and then they would wait outside where we do our talk. And I felt really uncomfortable with that because I, as you can see, the majority of my talk is against CBSA. So I was very uncomfortable and I decided maybe it wouldn't be a good idea for me to do it. It was most first time doing a talk at university. So I really wanted to, for him to do it because I have to twist his arm to do any public event, including the film. Because it really puts your life out there and it's really time consuming and we just want to try to go on and have a normal life. You know, have a normal life, have a family, have a house, have a job, do things normal. But this process has cost us years of our lives. It cost us a family. It cost us my health. It cost us a lot. And so we're sitting in the room and I decide, the heck with it. I'm going to go ahead and, and go and do my talk. So as we're um, getting ready to do our talk, the four CBS officers sit at the back of the room with their bulletproof vests and their weapons, and they take notes of everything. And they just like, sometimes they giggle because I have funny stories about them. So they took notes of everything. And one of the students asked me, are you being watched right now? And I said, well, I'm not allowed to point because it gets me in trouble every time, but you can figure it out yourself. So the student turns around and notices the presence of those four big guards in the back. And the next thing you know, she's nudging the next student. And every student is nudging like this. Check out this one. 300 students looking back. So since then, Mo has been very reluctant to do other events. And it's pretty understandable. And it's also better for your safety as well, as you know, because they only like about their safety. And so we can have an open discussion as well without everything being reported and all that. So he says, hi, and he thanks you for your support. And I also would like to ask those with electronic devices to go in online and endorse our petition at harkatstatement.com. It's H-A-R-K-A-T statement.com. We have thousands of people across the country, high-profile Canadians, every national union. The NDP has endorsed the statement to abolish security certificates, uh, the Green Party. So we invite you to add your name to that list by endorsing the statement. So okay. we'll take So we'll have our Henning, go ahead. Now I'm on. They tell me I'm on. But they say I'm not. Now I, now I am. Okay, I won't shout. Hi, Sophie. My name is Henning Mundell. And thank you for sharing your horrendous story. Um, I'm of German background. Some of the st stories you tell sound definitely worse than the Stasi in East Germany. But what I want to know is, do you know... What other countries that are part of the OECD, for example, have a similar kind of security certificates as we do here in Canada? That's a really good question. So our system is based on the UK. So in the UK, there are many Algerians, for example, that are waiting trial, that are being detained under what's it called the immigration certificate. The UK uses them, Australia. Uh, there's many other countries that uses these bills. Uh, very, very similar to security certificate. So that means detention without charge, without evidence. Um, although we have been through a very difficult 12 years, we have set some important legal precedents, though, under my husband's name. And his name is being used around the world as an example um, because the first Supreme Court challenge, we were... Uh, it was in our favor. And the Federal Court of Appeal had agreed before the last Supreme Court challenge that Mo deserved to have a new hearing in front of a new judge, possibly, but that he should definitely get a new chance. And that didn't happen because the Supreme Court actually overruled that decision by saying, no, it was constitutional. 
But that's one thing that I'm very proud to say that we, it's, you know, when most depressed and I want to tell them, yeah, but you know, when you're, you're dead and buried, you'll, your name will be out there and you're setting important legal precedents. Uh, he doesn't really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> but think of the next generation. Your name is going to set some really, it's going to help out other people in the future. And that's really important. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Two short questions. Uh, you mentioned in your presentation at the beginning that one of the accusers had failed a lie detector test. And I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Tell us who was this somebody who uh, had failed the lie detector test when he was being examined by the CIA in the U.S. or was it in Canada? And the second question is, do security certificates attach to spouses? I mean, did you have to sign any document um, to say you agreed with the bail security, I mean, the, the collateral to act as hostage to your husband? Did you have to sign a document saying you agreed to the conditions? Those are two good questions. As for the informant question, it was not one of the accused. It was an informant that provided information in my husband's case that he worked for the CSIS. It's important to mention that CSIS informants are known to get good money for information. Even if they know they will be highly protected and their credibility will never be tested, through court procedures we found out that the bigger the information, the bigger the payout. Some of these informants have criminal records. They get promised citizenship. There's a lot of these people in the community. We, for example, know that our informant is from Ottawa. We're pretty sure it was a close friend of my husband's before he got arrested, even a witness at our wedding. And he is part of the Ottawa community, and he might be also involved in other cases. And those are people who just go on with their lives and lead very normal life with good paychecks. And they don't live with the, um, how would I say? I mean, he has to live with himself, but for them it's a job, you know, and there's a lot of people in the community. What's scary with Bill C-44 is that now anybody will be able to come forward and say, I, like, I don't like that person. That person does this and that, and that informant will be protected, really highly protected. His credibility will never be tested. So it could be anybody who doesn't like you can go and rat on you. And the, this, this, the RCMP or the, the Ottawa police will be able to use that information, uh, whether they, whatever, how they choose to do it, and that could be used against you. So in our case, all we wanted to do when the new law was in place was to have access to that informant so his credibility could be tested. It was very simple. And like I said, in secret proceedings by special advocates where his name wouldn't be out and where his face wouldn't be out. Uh, we didn't see a problem with that. For example, just to give you how government overuses the term national security, one of the questions we asked was, do you think our client speaks French? Yes, my husband is from Algeria, but he doesn't speak a word of French. He comes from a small town, and so we, between the both of us, he speaks very bad English, you know. And we, we say we speak the language of love because most of the time I don't understand what the heck he's saying, and he doesn't speak French. And that the government responded, national security. As for your second question regarding, um, regarding signing something, I, first of all, I didn't choose, um, I didn't sign really anything on paper. 
But we did put a large amount of money. For example, I had to put a cash bond in place. He has over $150,000 in surety money in place and over $35,000 in cash bonds that are in place so that if he were ever to breach his conditions, we would owe the government that sum of money for breaching his condition. So in some sense, I did sign some documents saying, yes, I will make sure he, he will respect all his conditions, and if he didn't, then I would give out so much of my, of my money towards that. But um, like I said, I did it for love, and uh, it was an, I, I put myself into question many times, and Mo asked several times. He said, I can go back, I can go back, because not only did I suffer, my entire family suffered. My mom suffered, her reputation. Every time you go through court, you're dehumanized, humiliated. When you're put in that stand, it's like they can ask you anything. Anything. You're like, your life is like an open book. They don't care about this impact has on the entire family. Uh, merci pour votre présentation. Uh, thank you. I uh, really enjoyed your presentation. Uh, I'm going to make a comment, and I'd like your feedback on it. Pardon? Okay. Uh, my name's Maria Fitzpatrick, and I worked for 32 and a half years with Correction Service Canada. Mm. Uh, and I was actually in Ottawa when lots of discussion went on about what was being built at Kingston oh. and what policies were to be done. And I have to say that there were a lot of staff who were very, very uncomfortable in what they were being forced to do. Um, I, many times when conversations were going on, my heart went out to you because I could just, well, I couldn't imagine what you and your family were going through, what your husband was going through. And uh, the crux of corrections is you have to have um, a crime being, uh, have been commit, committed, and you have to have been found guilty of that crime. So it went against every fiber of my being and as well as many of the staff I worked with. So I don't know how your um, encounters were with the staff at Kingston, but I can just tell you from my position at headquarters, we were being very strongly directed into what was being done, and an awful lot of staff did not want to do that. I'm, I'm really happy you told me that. Yeah. Through the years, I, you know, people stand up at various events. I work for CSIS. I work there. I work yeah. there. And things come out. Yeah. That's when the truth comes out. I'm very happy that you, you said that to me. I can see for myself at the Ottawa Detention Center, we were very badly treated at first because the first year, you know, the worst label you can get is a label of terrorism. Mm-hmm. But through the year and through the campaigning and all that, we've gained respect. I had respect from the inmates quite a bit when we were in there and from the staff eventually because when we went to court, they wanted him out. Mm-hmm. They also understood. I understand everybody's in a very difficult position. It's also a job. But, you know, at one point, the CBSA officers sometimes have come up to me and say, you know, we don't feel comfortable doing this, but, mm-hmm. you know, we work for the border service. Then they created this whole department just to watch you and everything. And I said, you wear the uniform. For there, so you are responsible also for that chain of injustices that are going on. I, I can understand for correctional services it might be different, and, I, and I'm glad to hear people were thinking of that. Because when they transferred us to that facility, they said to us he will get the same services as a detention, as, as the federal provincial, as the, as the federal. Yeah. He will get 
access to health care. They will get access to dental care. They will get education. They will get trailer visits. They will wear their own clothes. They will get family visits. We got none of it. Mm -hmm. They got to wear their own clothes. But like they say in the documentary, who gives a damn about your own clothes when you just go from one jail to the other? And let me tell you, when they put the detention center together, for us to go and visit our husbands made it 10 times harder because... We were not from the Kingston area. I was from Ottawa. The other women were from Toronto. And um, we had to go through our own security. They built their own security office for us to go through. First time I went through the security system, I scammed for cocaine. I never taken a drug except medication in my Mm -hmm. life. I don't drink alcohol. I tested for cocaine. Because I had carried a bottle of water that I had bought during lunch break. Mm-hmm. That had traces of cocaine on it, and the whole system started in that. So I'm in I'm in that room, and I can hear the the system, the alarm in the penitentiary, and no one had seen the detention center because they kept it extremely secret. Mm-hmm. Even in the footage tonight of the film, that that footage is not of the detention center. Nobody was ab- never able to get close to that detention center and take pictures of it. Um, Stockwell Day's been in it. We've been here. But I didn't have a cell phone. And I took Mrs. Jabal, can you please take a picture and we'll share it with the media. Everywhere I went, I brought media. First time I went there, I had maybe 25 media waiting for me at the entrance of the Kingston um, penitentiary to say what this thing looks like and how, how was it and all that. And they couldn't come and see it. No one ever saw this place other than the families and the men. No. And when they were transferred to that facility, they were transferred in secret. They were basically kidnapped from mm-hmm. their provincial detention center. An inmate called me, collect call, an inmate, and said, Mo never came back today. They had taken those small, smaller, it's hard to believe, than the flight that comes from Ledbridge to Calgary. <laughs> smaller than that, filled it up with security. Each guy had their own plane, mm-hmm. and they flew them on the grounds of the Kingston Penitentiary in secret. And so when my husband disappeared, first thing I did was call Toronto and say, where are your men? They had all disappeared from their cell, and that's how they did the transfer as well. Everything was then very secretive, and they, were, they made it look really good. Mm-hmm. Like they were going to get same services at federal inmates, and they got nothing. Squat. Mm-hmm. Squat. I mm-hmm. will tell you that I wouldn't have been able to say anything before the 16th of February when I retired. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. I, I want to thank you for coming to Lathbridge and also to Annalise for helping out uh, facilitating it. Um, it's great to that you speak out. Uh, my question is related to you have support from many people. Does that run across uh, political alliances? <laughs> Listen. The one thing I hate the most, other than maybe attending court, it's lobbying. (laughs) Gosh, did I waste hours of my life lobbying over the past 12 years. I can proudly say that the NDP and the Green Party have endorsed the statements to abolish security certificates. Now, if the NDP ever came in a majority or... (laughs) Let's see what happens, because they'll be on their butt. Same thing as the liberals. I mean, I did a film with Justin Trudeau's brother. He posted bail. His brother posted bail for two of the five guys. One is my husband. And he's against the process. 
And so it's kind of ironic that also the liberals who created the security certificate, the two ministers who actually signed the certificates, we need an immigration minister and a public safety minister to sign, are all liberal ministers. And when it came down to vote again after the revision of the, the, the bill came down, the liberals, half of them didn't even show up to vote because they didn't have the, the guts to vote against the bill. So instead they didn't show up. And I'm really happy to say that we have, if you go on our petition and look at the, the, the support, it's very impressive support. Uh, Amnesty International groups have really stood up. That's one of the main reasons why we ended up in front of the Supreme Court three times, because of the public pressure. We are an example of how when people stand up, we can make a change. Because if it wouldn't be for the support and the pressure of the Canadians, people that believe in democracy, the principle of justice, we wouldn't be where we are today. Most of these men would probably be in secretive jails or tortured already in their country. So because of that support, we managed to, the Supreme Court managed to say yes to hear three cases in front. And we might end up there again, but that's only because we've been so lucky and and um, I would say back, if you ask the question back yeah, right after 9-11, if you supported security certificates, uh, when I spoke into a room, uh, you could probably drop a pin and we could hear the silence. Now it's very different, you know. People have put into question the secret services, the CSIS, CBSA, and how our government are handling secrecy and all that. And um, always ask yourself, you know, when you put, would you cross the government with your life? Would you trust CSIS with your life? We don't even know where that information comes from. And most of these cases, security certificate cases, they were given the green light. You can use information that comes from torture. You're allowed to do that. That information is not reliable. So we have to question and, and put, we have to really put serious questions on the table. So but we, I'm I, really grateful for the support. I think we have time for two questions. If Frank keeps his short, which we all know he can do. So. <laughs> So if there's one more person, I'll uh, we entertain may, We may not invite you back. I may not be welcome to that. <laughs> anyway, he already told you I am Frank Toth. As a veteran, I am absolutely subdued. I don't believe what I heard. I was part of the Air Force. When I got washed out of flying, with, I was with the MT Division picking up pieces of bodies. And hear this. Makes me cry for the love of God. If you were a cartoonist, how would you paint Mr. Harper with that toupee? What? How would you paint it? How would I paint Harper? Yeah, how, how, how would you paint him in a cartoon? One thing I can tell you, I can't, I can't, I can't draw for the life of me. I can do pretty much anything else, but. The, you know, I, as much as I want to blame the conservative for everything that's going on, the reality is there's two liberal MPs that signed for this bill, and this bill has been in place for quite some time. Where oh the hell were you like when, when CSIS was recruiting people? We needed people like you working for CSIS. You know? I'm not, I'm not because answering Because do you know that. how many people? <laughs> I was involved with them. I was involved. Do you know how many people Secret. stand up at events and say, you know, I've worked there and I just, and I, you cannot believe the things. I've, uh, at, a, at a festival a couple of weeks ago, there's an ex agent who worked there for 30 years. He says, you could not believe the things I saw. Of course, he cannot say because he, he's limited. But yeah. of the things that they saw that goes on. Ma'am, you should get an award for... For, for, for France, France around Canada. It's called but, marriage know, for the better or for the worse. <laughs> bless, bless you, bless you, bless you. 
And somebody dared to ask me if it was a marriage of convenience. I said, there's absolutely nothing convenient about this situation. Let me tell you. I would like to lead us in singing Oh Canada when you're done. Oh, oh Canada. Oh, I don't know. Frank, let's have one more questioner. I think uh, Tad has a question. Go ahead. My name is Tad Mitsui. Thank you, Sophie, for your presentation. My question is, what are you going to do about PTSD for more? Oh, yeah. I know that your uh, contribution is for legal cost. I was in solitary confinement only three days. That was 40 years ago in South Africa. I still have nightmares. I still wake up screaming. And I cannot imagine what kind of damage that kind of experience did to Mo. Are you doing anything about that? Or do you need another fund? <laughs> no. I, um, Mo has been uh, followed by a psychiatrist since his release from detention uh, who specializes in veterans. Mo is his only client who other than veterans. They treat uh, veterans that suffer from post-traumatic uh, stress system. Mo has been on various heavy medication over the past couple of years. He's had his up and down, but he's got a very good family, a loving family, loving supporters. And I, not that I don't feel sorry for him, but I don't have time uh, for depression. It's like we have things to do and we, we need to move on. We lose a decision. We, you know, we have maybe half a, have a bad day. Then we get up off our ass and we move on. We don't have time to waste. <laughs> and uh, as much as, you know, I feel like, yes, I feel for my husband. He's got some very difficult – because being in solitary confinement is a, a type of physical – mental torture. And I call those conditions uh, mental torture as well. People, And now he faces physical torture. So I, I cannot be in his shoes. I don't know what it's like to face physical torture. I've attended talks where Mararar describes torture, Abdullah al-Maki. And I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that really profoundly uh, disturbs me because I know what Mo could face. So that's why I'm fighting so hard. If you ask me about deportation stuff, I don't know if I've been in denial, but I refuse to accept that someone who's been in Canada for 20 years, who's paid taxes, who's been a good citizen, who's never been charged, who doesn't have a criminal record anywhere in the world will be deported to a country he hasn't seen in over 20 years. He escaped during war. His country is Canada. He belongs here. So he's been getting treatment, and I, I always try to put our situation compared to other people that struggle with uh, illness and stuff. There's always people in worse situation and worse position than us, and that's what kept me going. And also, maybe not the legal system anymore, because I had great hopes in the Supreme Court the last time, but that truth will eventually come out. It takes time, but I'm, I'm of, the, of the opinion that truth will eventually come out. That's what has kept me alive. Um, I guess we have a, a minute or two. Does anyone have a question? Or maybe I'll just ask you to look into the future and tell us what the next... Oh, Van, you want to come up? I was just going to ask you if you wanted to look into the future and tell us what your next few months and years will look like with Mo. Van, you come up as well. Yeah, you can take whichever question you like or both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Van Christou. Sophie, thank you very much for coming here and for being what uh, I uh, see as being a canary, uh, the, uh, we used to have coal mines here in Lethbridge where they would send canaries down with the miners to, to smell out the, uh, the uh, methane 
to keep minors from dying of asphyxiation. Uh, I see you as being that in terms of fascism that's, that's creeping over us, uh, where we're allowing uh, our paranoia of, of something that, that challenges our economic system to overwhelm our, our, our good sense. So I really appreciate your coming out here and doing this. This is more of a comment than a question. Thank you so much for and keep up the good work. Thank you. But I, I have felt like I was suffocating a few times over the past twelve years. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I I also do it because not only because of the principle of justice, because very big personal battle for me because I'm becoming the face of security certificates, and unfortunately because I'm a white Franco Ontario girl, people took me more seriously than the other guys because of their. Uh, of their backgrounds because they're Muslim and all that. So if you look at the other women in the film, they wear niqabs, they wear hijab. But when I came, I was poor, naive little girl. She was all part of that plan. I married my husband before he, you know, when he told me I didn't, I didn't have my purpose. I also met my husband in a corner store after a terrible blind date. Terrible. <laughs> not with him. The blind date was it not was with him. It was really bad. <laughs> And I met him like that, and he told me, hello. And I fell in love with his, you know, his big brown eyes. I thought he was tall, dark, and handsome, but he was just handsome and dark. Because when he picked me up on our first date, he was not tall. <laughs> he stood behind a step stool behind the, the table. So that was not part of the big master plan. We met like any other people and a couple, and we fell in love. And I just stick through the, the rough parts, you know, and that's what marriage is all about. And I think anybody, it's easy, you know, to say I do it. But anybody who's in my shoes, I'm sure would do the same thing for their partner. You know, I'm sure everybody, when somebody goes through an illness, the, the family stays. Anybody, there's a reporter who told me, oh, my wife would never do that. I said, don't say that. You don't know. You're not in my shoes and your wife's not in my shoes. I'm sure she would. So I'm sure anybody who would stand, stand in front of injustice like that would do the exact same thing and would be behind them and support them. And uh, we've been very, very lucky, and I'm very, very thankful for the support. And like I said, that's what's kept me going, and that's what's kept me alive. And I've met the best people. Before this happened, I had never been to a protest in my life. I was a little bit selfish myself. It didn't happen to me. I didn't care. Then all of a sudden, I'm in the street protesting. They were told, oh, protesters, you know, they wear earrings. They have purple hair. Protesters, they have PhDs and masters in political science. And they are the coolest people on the planet. And... What you see in the media is 1% of what goes on. At the Bush rally, there were 20,000 people. I spoke with uh, Jack Layton, and there was a little bushfire and a couple hours later on the other side, and that was what the media covered. We're not like that. We stand up and we care, and it really does do some good to stand up and speak out and shout and swear and whatever. It's a really good, and I wouldn't go back. And then I had to convince my mom to come to our first protest. Oof. Then we had our first protest, and my mom said, when's your next one, and when's your next one? <laughs> so it's in my blood now. I wouldn't want to go back, and I hope if you hadn't had a chance to stand up, go to a C-51 rally, go to something, do it. It's a great experience, and we need more people to, to stand up, honestly, because we can make a difference. Yeah. I, I think it's easy to say you've become a hero to many. <laughs>